on the top deck with a fire hose and a bulletproof helmet and a bulletproof vest <laughs> just like ah, what are we doing you know but trying trying to defend our vessel um obviously we've got the armed guards there as well but um yeah it's a pretty pretty big task that the sea shepherd crews are undertaking at the moment to defend this animal but it is absolutely crucial the voice you just heard there was kate parker She's an offshore volunteer for the Sea Shepherds, and she's speaking about the second campaign she ever went on in Mexico to try and help save the nearly extinct Fakita porpoise. The Sea Shepherds are a marine life conservation organization, with its core aims being to defend, conserve, and protect the world's oceans. Felicia Maru, this is the Steve Irwin. We strongly advise that you leave these waters immediately. You're in a whale sanctuary. We are going to treat you no differently than illegal poachers. We are not here to protest. We are here to enforce international conservation law. Leave these waters immediately. With the world grinding to a halt due to COVID-19, experts have marveled at the unintended byproducts of the virus lockdown as carbon emissions drop and ecosystems begin to recover from human impacts. Tonight, well, global greenhouse gas emissions are on track to take an historic plunge in 2020. However, in some cases, the coronavirus lockdown has had the opposite effect for some ecosystems, a marine environments being one of them. Not just affected by the decline in ecotourism, which helps finance some conservation efforts in continents like Africa, the boys might end up not having enough cash to pay us because there are no tourists coming in. But the mooring of vessels such as the Sea Shepherd Steve Irwin has left wide open spaces for illegal poaching, dumping and marine life destruction, leaving poachers and illegal fishermen taking advantage of the empty seas. The Marine Resources Division posted a reminder on social media today about illegal fishing in the Gulf during the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the years, the Sea Shepherds have become infamous for getting themselves into scrapes with Japanese whaling fleets on the high seas. Reminiscent of scenes that you would be forgiven for thinking were from Hollywood films rather than real life. The net's getting really heavy. Bridge, bridge, deck. There's a lot of tension in the net. We believe there's a big animal trap. Kate has spent the last few years on the boat aptly named Steve Irwin, with a group of like-minded individuals trying to save marine life in Antarctica and Mexico. But Kate had never even heard of the organisation until a chance encounter six years ago. I suppose I've always been fascinated by the ocean. I grew up uh, in a county in the north of England where we don't have any sea, and so going to the sea was always a fascinating thing for me, and I think that's where it originally started. But it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne in 2014 and ended up going to a screening of a documentary um, that was hosted by an organisation called Sea Shepherd who I'd heard of, but I didn't really know too much about what they did. They were super friendly and they said, you know, we have one of our vessels is docked here and we do ship tours and you're welcome to come down and do a ship tour. And if you want to volunteer with us and do fundraising, you can. And it just sort of snowballed from there. So it was kind of haphazard that I just happened to be going to watch this documentary and then ended up joining the organization. Put my hand up for pretty much everything, um, you know, so fundraising or education talks in the evening. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Kate and I'm from Sea Shepherd and I've come to talk to you today a little bit about my journey from uh, ocean admirer to environmental activist. Just started doing more and more of those events in my spare time and then I took on more and more leadership roles. Ended up running a campaign now in Australia, Sea Shepherd Dive, which is about... A Sea Shepherd campaign to promote a more eco-friendly, sustainable and ethical diving industry. 
from there, I started spending more and more time on the ships, going down on the weekends, um, helping out in the engine room originally was when I first started helping out on the ship. And then I became more and more interested in that and eventually said to my boss, can I take some time off to join the crew? Next minute I was sailing off to Antarctica. So it was, <laughs> it went quite quickly from just occasional volunteering to giving up a year of my life for being on the ships. The Sea Shepherds regularly undertake various campaigns around the world to fight against illegal fishing, plastic pollution and even protect coral reefs. Sid Chakravarti, captain of the Steve Irwin, briefly explains the process that illegal fishermen undertake. Taking advantage of Antarctica's remoteness in a place where there's virtually no enforcement, the Bandit Six would return every year, lay their illegal gill nets in Antarctica and then once they'd fish, land their catch to ports in Asia and Africa. And on this return journey, they'd take on new names and new identities, creating a disconnect between the vessels landing the catch in port and the vessels that had been fishing in Antarctica. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was just incredible. The, I never expected that I would get to go to Antarctica and it was a really, really unique experience. Just everything that you can imagine. We saw the Southern Lights on the way down, seeing icebergs and all the whales and all the different animals, penguins, seabirds, everything that we saw down there was just incredible. Sunsets and sunrises, just a totally and utterly beautiful and different alien world, um, learning to drive the small boats, which I never thought that I would do, you know, um, so many different experiences, even just sort of the trade skills, learning how to weld and use power tools to fix bits of the ship and all these different experiences that I never expected I would get. You know, the job we were going down there to do was heavy on everyone's mind. We were there to oppose the Japanese whaling fleet and it's a tough gig trying to find them when we're in a, a fairly dated vessel that doesn't go very fast. Um, we had a helicopter that we launched multiple times daily to search for the fleet and I was involved in supporting the helicopter whenever it was launched. Um, so myself and, and somebody else was in a small boat and we would be launched into the sea and we would be sailing behind the big boat, the Steve Irwin, while the helicopter took off and landed so that if there was any problems with the helicopter, we could be on site quickly. I can't see him at all, so okay, we'll continue a little bit longer. Turn it back in just a couple of minutes. But we did that for a couple of months before we found, eventually managed to find the whaling fleet, which if you can imagine in a place the size of Antarctica was a pretty incredible feat at the best of times. There's lots of tactics they use, you know, hiding behind icebergs, which is hard to see on the radar. And it sounds silly hiding behind an iceberg, but literally, you know, when you've got a little white blob on the, or a yellow blob on the radar, Going through like a couple of months of just daily waiting for the helicopter to come back and desperately hoping that we'd found them and being disappointed every time that the helicopter came back and we hadn't found them, you know, that was really draining on the crew who were, you know, trying to keep positive and, and trying to find that whaling fleet. So yeah, it was, it was a mixture of right, incredible experiences and an incredible heartbreak every time, every day that went past that we knew we were running out of fuel, we couldn't stay there indefinitely. The longer it went on, and we hadn't found the fleet, the less chance we would have of, of intercepting them. And then, you know, eventually we did find the fleet, which was fantastic. And we managed to get that footage of them illegally fishing in an illegal, an illegal area in Antarctica. That's a marine park with a whale on their back deck, quite obviously. And interestingly, then they, when they saw our helicopter, they pulled a tarpaulin over the top of it and covered up their harpoons with tarp to sort of 
imply that they weren't doing anything, but it just made them look even more guilty. The footage of that scene that Kate is talking about can be watched online. The footage shows the Japanese research ship with the whale on its back deck covered in blood. And as Kate mentioned, with a blue tarp attempting to cover the whale. There's nothing to see here. Big whale-shaped tarp on their back deck. I think some of, the, some of the media that was tracked around that said it had one of the biggest reaches, the furthest audience around the world. On January 15th, conservation organization Sea Shepherd posted these disturbing photographs of a dead mink whale aboard the Nishin Maru, the primary vessel of Japan's whaling fleet. Making the world aware of what was happening, you know, and then we carried out our tactics to try and um, try and stop them as best as we could. Um, you know, which, in, which entailed sort of chasing them or getting them to chase us. So while they're chasing us, they can't be catching whales and those kind of tactics. So yeah, it was an incredible experience, but it was of course tinged with um, the stresses of what we were trying to achieve. And, you know, we saved a lot of whales that year, but eventually we had to leave Antarctica and we had to come back because we'd run out of fuel. And, and it's hard to know that, you know, you're leaving behind potentially animals to be caught. Um, but yeah, we did what we could that year. I asked Kate how she felt about Antarctica being her maiden voyage with the Sea Shepherds. It did feel quite overwhelming at points. <laughs> For all of that training, like I was up in the crow's nest one day when the one of the harpoon vessels was coming really quickly towards us over the horizon. And uh, that was a moment where I was like, I'm not really sure if all of this training is going to be sufficient because if we get rammed by this boat and we get a hole in our hull and we start to sink, <laughs> there's only so much training that can get you through that situation they can be very aggressive towards our vessels. Um, and yeah, I think I showed you, I think you've seen footage before of when one of our captains one year tried to maneuver our vessel in between that big factory vessel and the refueling vessel so that they couldn't refuel. Uh, and they were very aggressive, like shooting their water cannons at us, throwing explosives, which is really dumb when that's a refueling vessel. Um, you know, and actually cru like completely crushed um, one of our vessels in between their two vessels and just refused to stand down. I think we were there for three days in the end uh, before they eventually realised that we weren't going to budge. But yeah, it could be very aggressive. All this talk of confrontation, I wonder about the legality of it all, if anything has become of the footage the Sea Shepherds took. I mean, we had all that evidence there, and I'm, I'm sure that Sea Shepherd would have tried to proceed with any kind of um, bringing that to justice. Um, but, you know, eventually they're, they're doing something that is already illegal. They're, it's been ruled illegal by, by The Hague, and they're in, um, in uh, Australian territory, and they're still fishing for these whales. And yet there doesn't seem to be any government who wants to step up and actually try and bring that to justice. So for whatever reasons you might want to um, jump to as to why the Australian government haven't been more heavy-handed with Japan over what's happened in Antarctica. I, cu I couldn't answer that question, yeah, but it's, it's obviously illegal, but there doesn't seem to have been much follow-up from government organisations. So what became of Kate after her first run-in on the high seas? It would be understandable for anybody to want to take a break after all that excitement, but that wasn't the case packed away all of my winter gear and packed a few t-shirts and then went to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I think it was th three or four days I had between the two. And that wasn't for a holiday, but instead for another campaign. This time in Mexico for a marine conservation effort to save an animal called the vaquita porpoise. So there's uh, a very small porpoise there called the vaquita. 
and it only lives in this one area in the northern part of the Gulf of California in Mexico and it's becoming extinct. So when I first went out there, I think scientists estimated there were about 30 to 50 left. Now this year when I was there, they estimate between five and 13. So we really are down to the very last few of this vaquita porpoise. And the problem is that it's not the vaquita that's being targeted, but there's another fish that lives in the same area called the totoaba fish. And that fish's swim bladder, which is just a little bit that it used for ballast inside its body, is worth a lot of money in the Chinese black market. I know that sounds bizarre. It does indeed. But like elephant's ivory and tiger's teeth, it's a highly prized item, thought to have medicinal purposes, and traced to markets in South China, where it's believed to improve skin and liver conditions. Because of this demand for the fish, the totoaba, since the 1970s, the population of the most endangered porpoise in the world, the vaquita, has been on the decline. These days, it's, it's worth so much, and it's like worth more than cocaine. They call it aquatic cocaine. It's worth, it can be up to a sort of 10 grand per kilo in Mexico. It can be up to 70 grand uh, per kilo in, over in Asia. And people literally will dry it out and frame it and put it on the wall and give it to people as gifts for their weddings. Yeah, it's totally bizarre. The amount of money to be made has meant that now the Sea Shepherds have crossed paths with the criminal underworld. The Chinese mafia are very interested in working with the Mexican cartel. Those... Here JP Joffrey, a campaign leader for the Sea Shepherds in Mexico, talks about the involvement of the Mexican drug cartels to local news. The cartels are involved in the, in the aspect they're using the same ways to move the swim bladders out from Mexico that they use for the drugs. And also they lend the money to the fishermen to buy the gear, the fishing gear. Because it's a lot of money, it's more money than drugs. As well as funding the export of the fish to China. And so the criminal gangs, the Mexican cartel gangs, they set nets to try and catch this fish. And the nets have a hole in it that is really big. So, you know, this is probably not very good for your podcast, but what's that, I don't know, 20 centimeters, 30 centimeters wide holes. They're called gill nets and they catch the fish by its gills. But they're illegal because of, because of the size of the hole. And the vaquita is about the same size as this fish. So the vaquita is also getting caught in these nets. And when I say like these nets can be 200 to 400 meters long and they crisscross this tiny area and there's loads of them and they're hidden under the water. And the guys who drop them under the water, they know where they are. They have their own GPS, so they know where they've put them. And what we've been asked to do by the Mexican government is to try reduce the number of nets that are in that area. So we are uh, using our boats. We're using, well, originally we were using drones and night vision to follow the guys who are dropping the nets. Um, but these days we have different tactics that we can use. Our ships find these nets by using what we call a phantom ray. These rays are dragged from the stern of the ship with a grappling hook attached. Once the hook gets caught in a net, a breaker line snaps, releasing the ray from the ship and marking the net with the buoy. So it's just a lot of um, trying to get those nets out of the water to give that vaquita porpoise a chance to survive. When we pull the nets in, there'll be those dead fish. They don't eat the, 
the, the, the skin or the flesh, they'll just cut a hole, rip the swim bladder out and then throw it back in the ocean. So that animal is now getting critically endangered and those nets will capture, we've had whales, dolphins, turtles, rays, all manner of fish, seabirds. So many animals are dying in the pursuit of this one fish's swim bladder. Tactics have changed over the years as well. So when I first started going out there, they were very afraid of us. We would go out in the middle of the night and they would just scatter. Over the years, they got more and more confident, more and more aggressive. And more and more poachers are coming. They're attacking. They are continuing to throw things. To the point where they've shot at our vessels. Uh, they come out during the daytime. They throw Molotov cocktails at us. And now we have to have armed guard on board because the fight is getting so much more intense. Now that the drug cartels are involved, it seems to be a game of leapfrog. As the Sea Shepherd's tactics evolve, so too do the poachers, funded by the cartels. Um, and yeah, it's at this point now, I was there earlier this year, and if we find a net and we start to pull it, the poaching vessels will just all come flying out from the coast. They'll just harass our ship, try and board our vessel. Um, so yeah, we have to have sort of anti-piracy training in, in that regard. Um, we have, the only defense that we have is fire hoses. Obviously we're a non-violent organization, but yeah, earlier this year, you know, we got attacked and next minute I'm standing up on the top deck with a fire hose and a bulletproof helmet and a bulletproof vest. But as with all things 2020, life was suddenly taken over by the coronavirus including the campaign to save the Vaquita paupers. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, you know, I was there and everything was progressing as normal. And it was interesting because I, I guess while we're working, you know, all the time, I didn't really know what COVID was. I, my friends were sending memes about toilet paper and I thought that it was some sort of diarrhea. Like I just didn't, hadn't really kept up with the news, didn't really know, because we're quite isolated just being on our boat all the time. But bit by bit, we learned more about this disease, this virus, and people were starting to get a bit worried. Um, but then eventually, uh, you know, it did get to the point where people were like, well, I, I need to go home because my country is going into lockdown or, you know, I'm not going to be able to travel. I'm not going to be able to leave Mexico. We were concerned about resupply to the ships and things like that. And so unfortunately, um, you know, it, we had to take the difficult decision that we weren't able to continue to patrol the waters and we had to send pretty much all the crews home and and take our ships to dock. Yeah, so that was a really tough decision, but it was one that we had to make to keep our crews safe and to, um, yeah, to, yeah, to prioritize the safety of, of everyone coming on and off the vessel. So I, I left there, I think mid-March, and I think shortly after I left, the ships had had to return to port, unfortunately. And as you could imagine, lockdown restrictions didn't apply to poachers. In the absence of a Sea Shepherd presence, and while most of the world was indoors slowing the transmission of COVID-19, poachers remained on the hunt for the Totoaba, and indirectly killing more endangered Vaquita. I mean, these guys are lawless they're acting illegally anyway so they didn't obviously listen to any of the restrictions and um my understanding from from bits that i've heard and unfortunately some footage that we received was that the poachers were sort of going crazy in the absence of our presence um and just setting as many nets as they wanted whenever they wanted and um yeah, I don't know what the impact will have been on the vaquita. Uh, the, the last time that we did any scientific study was 
around about this time last year, and that's when we got those numbers, the estimated numbers, five to 13. It's very hard to know exactly numbers because it's an incredibly shy creature. It won't come anywhere near a boat. They're very, very hard to spot. They're naturally very, very shy. I dread to think what the impact of COVID has had on those numbers because we weren't there to police those waters or to patrol those waters and have any kind of presence. But with no one to hold the poachers accountable, it doesn't sound good for the vaquita. If and when campaign starts up again, um, we might start to know a little bit more about the impact of what happened. But as far as I'm aware, yes, the, the poachers were continuing and possibly were able to set more nets uh, without Sea Shepherd having a presence in that area. So we'll find, we'll find out later in the year as to what the impact of that was. Fingers crossed the vaquita managed to stay out of the way, but it's, it's not looking good. Since speaking to Kate, Sea Shepherds have announced the continuation of the operation to save the vaquita porpoise, Operation Malago. With the lifting of certain COVID-19 restrictions, the Sea Shepherd team have now been given access to again patrol the waters and remove gillnets. The first job on their to-do list? Assess the damage done by poachers and cartel, who were only aided by the COVID-19 lockdown.